Hello, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. We are kicking off a brand new series this week entitled, It's Just a Phase. In this series, we will be taking a look at how the church can come alongside the family to help us not only survive the phases of childhood, but help us thrive throughout them. Getting us started is our senior pastor, the Reverend Dr. Jared Ott. And just a reminder that if you are not doing so already, you can find our sermons on our website, ccgf.org sermons, as well as our app, which is available on iOS and Android devices. Now, here is Pastor Jared with this week's message. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning, church. You know, we're in this new series called It's Just a Face. You know, the keeps us on our toes, some of these series, because well, oftentimes we come in and we go, I have no idea what this is about. We see a tree. We see it's just a phase. This series is about how we all as a church have a role to play in the raising of our children. And what you're going to hear over the next few weeks, as myself and Jamie and Ed Glover come and talk about how we all have a role. We all have a part. We all have the need to get involved to raise our generation. As that video you saw about the daddy-daughter dance started with Psalm 127, children are our heritage. And that's what we want to keep in mind as we go through the series. It's not about your own family. It's about us as a church, as the bigger picture of a family come together, all-inclusive, to affect the life of our children. So with that, let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for the fact that You have given us these children, Lord. Not only our own children, our grandchildren, our aunts, our nephews, our nieces, Lord. Children in this church, this generation, Lord, that you've given us the responsibility to teach, to train, to raise them up in you. Lord, they are growing up in a culture that's very counter God, counter you. And Lord, you, you put us here to help instruct them and train them, Lord. So be with us over the next few weeks as we look at this. Help us to realize we all have a part. We all have a part to play. And Lord, thank you for your word, how you can teach us through your word, how you can encourage us through your word. Lord, we thank you. Lord, be with us today as we look at your scriptures, as we remember making you our first priority. As we sang in that song, take my life, Lord. That is our prayer this morning. And Lord, that you take our lives, that you are the center of everything we do. I pray that you speak through me. I pray that my lips are your lips, my heart is your heart. And you impress upon us the message you want us to hear. And I ask all this in your precious name. Amen. Well, the series we come to, as mentioned, is a little different of a series. You know, it's very easy as we go through various series throughout our year. You know, if you were here with us last summer, we did a huge series in the book of James. And it's very easy to follow along with us and where we are. Christmas time is very easy to know where we're at with Christmas and the different sermons that come. And last few weeks we talked about the culture, the intersection where Christ and culture collide and our responsibility. And isn't it great that we took action and folks go down to Washington, D.C.? And now we turn our attention to this series, which is called It's Just a Phase, really about the family. It's no coincidence that we try to coincide with all the family events that we have going on here over the next few weeks. This Friday, we have a bowling night where dads were trying to get you to bring your sons out for a night of bowling. You can still sign up for that. We have our daddy-daughter dance coming up where we can spend time with our daughters, our granddaughters, our, our, our nieces. We have the couples night happening here 
right here at Christ Church, which is selling out really quickly across Pittsburgh area. So make sure you sign up for that. All these family events. And it begs the question, why would we do so many family events? Because we want to instill in us the need and the idea that we as a church, as a body, have a, have a role to fill, a duty to fill in bringing up our children, this generation. So it doesn't matter if you have children, if you have grandchildren, nieces or nephews, there are children in this church that we as a body, as a family have been commissioned to train and raise. And that's the idea behind this series. You know, I have been so affected by my own family, my own parents, but more so I've been affected by the people in my church growing up. And I didn't realize it until later, but the the youth workers, the youth leader volunteers that I would come alongside, always talking to me about my relationship with Christ. I remember going to uh, retreats and camps and going with them on the bus, and they would take that opportunity to talk to me about my relationship with Christ and how that affects the world around me. I remember being uh, in the choir as a kid. They, I could never be in your choir. They had less standards then. But the, no, this is good. Uh, we encourage you to be in our choir. But we, I was in the choir as a kid, and I remember the choir members coming alongside. Every Wednesday, we'd have choir practice, and they'd ask me, Jared, how are you doing? How's your walk with Christ? I was influenced by your choir. I remember being influenced by the ushers coming in. I remember seeing them as a kid going, man, these guys, these men in the back of our, our service, these, these guys are devoted to Christ. And they come and they make a priority. Christ the priority. It takes a whole church to come and to raise the next generation. And that's what this is about. It's a different kind of series. Because we're going to talk about not just your own children, but us as a community, how we can get involved and help our children. You know, at baptisms, we say all together, we receive you into the household of God. May you confess the Christ crucified, proclaim his resurrection, and share with us in the mission to the world. We say that as a response to when kids are baptized here. I've heard a story that after a baptism, a baby brother uh, of a baby brother in a church, little Johnny was crying all the way home in the back seat of his car. And his father asked him three times what was wrong. Finally, the boy replied, that pastor said he wanted us brought up in a Christian home, and I want to stay with you guys. <laughs> we, we come together as a body, don't we? You know, there are no perfect families. Some of you may say, I have a perfect family. I would love to talk to you after the service. There are no perfect families, are there? There are absolutely no perfect family. This series is not about having the perfect family. It's about taking the family and the church and putting them together and affecting our young people. Affecting our young people. But there are no perfect families. I'm sure you've heard the joke about Winston Churchill who gave his famous speech, we will fight on the beaches, we will fight in the landing grounds, we will fight in the fields and the streets, and we shall fight in the hills. And that he was talking about our family vacations. We have this idea that when we go, our families are fighting. Some of you are coming in, your families are fighting. You know grandparents, your grandparents, you know your kids are fighting with your own children and grandchildren, nieces, nephews. There are no perfect families. And as we look through Scripture, we go, well, maybe we can look at Scripture and understand some perfect families. As we look through Scripture, we understand there are no perfect families there either. You remember the story of, uh, of Noah was, was found to be, dr- had a drinking problem, and his sons kind of caught him. Abraham offered his wife to another man. Rebecca schemed with her son to deceive her husband Isaac. Jacob's sons t- sold their brother in slavery. David had an affair, had a son, led to a rebellion. Adam and Eve's kids, one of them murdered the other. And then Joseph and Mary left Jesus at the temple for three days. 
You go, there's no perfect families. In fact, every one of those families, we would call child protective services on each and every one of those families in the Bible. There are no perfect families. So the key is not the fact that this, we're, we're trying to strive for perfect families, but there are godly ones. There are godly ones, and that's what we want to still in our children. You know, it's interesting as we go throughout life, one of the things that's the biggest stressor, I think, on families nowadays is our priorities. The question for you here today, no matter if you have young people, if you have children, if you don't have children, if you're nieces, nephews, if you're single, the question for you today is this. Where are your priorities? And as the young people look at you, what do they see? You know, this isn't just for adults either. I remember being a young kid in church looking up to the youth group, the high schoolers, and going, man, I want to be like them. Where are your priorities? Because we can't start talking about how we can affect our children if our priorities aren't first in the right uh, in the right order. Does that make sense? You can't talk about how our generation, that we need to come alongside them and teach and train them to love Christ if our own priorities don't reflect that. And that's the question for you here this morning. When we think about priorities, we think about it in terms of time. You know, there's so much time that we spend that take away from from the church, from our quiet time. There's so many issues that we've got going on, whether it's work or leisurely activities or vacations or sports, that we as families, we could see that, that there's just an immense amount of priorities. In fact, the pastors and I talk about this all the time. That's probably the hardest thing about being in ministry as I get older is the, the need for the priorities are just compounding on families and adults and the time for church and youth group and various clubs and missions and all kinds of other things. They take a back seat. I love the book by Richard Swenson. It's called Margin, Living the Balance of Life with God at the Center. A lot of us struggle with margin. I talk to a lot of people in my office who struggle with margin. They've just got so many priorities that they can't get involved in ministries. They can't get involved in church. In fact, I just met with somebody just a few weeks ago who said, listen, I'd love to get involved in a home group here, a small group. I've talked to Bob Mason. The problem is I've got all these other activities and I really don't have time. I said, well, you've got, you got the wrong priorities. You've got the wrong priorities. You want to get involved, but you, you're putting all these other things first. In the book Margin, it talks about creating that margin, about having balance. In fact, there's a great quote in there. It says this, in 1865, 1865, the invention of the wristwatch occurred, and in 1879, the first electric light was produced. So within a 10-year period. It was the clock that broke up the day and the light bulb that broke up the night. Humanity was flushed with its presumed victory over all of nature's limitations, yet all the victories have their associated cost. The clock and the light, they gifted us with time, and then they stole it away. We're constantly looking at the clock. Some of you are looking at the clock right now and going, when is this guy going to be done? But we're constantly looking at the clock. We're constantly thinking, what's next in life? What are the things that we need to do next? And our first priority isn't on Christ. In fact, it was funny, this week I woke up real early. It was just one of those days where you just kind of wake up and you're ready to go and you realize, man, this is like two hours before I normally get up. And I remember laying in bed and thinking about all the different things I could do to fill that time. And then I looked over the clock and realized I was just laid here for 45 minutes thinking about all the different things I could do. We do that. We're, we're constantly filled with priorities in our time. The key when we look at families 
When we talk about the need to impress it upon children, are we reflecting the, the good priorities? Do we have Christ at the center? And I think of no better uh, example than Christ himself when it comes to priorities. And it comes, from, it comes to us from um, Mark 1. Mark 1, the disciples must have been impacted by this. Must have been impacted by this. It says very early in the morning, Mark 1, verse 35, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. When they found him, they found him, and they explained, everyone's looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. This is why I've come. Jesus made his first priority to be with his father. That was his first priority. You say, well, what's Jesus got up early? I get up early. Well, Jesus got up real early. And in fact, when you understand the context of this, you realize all the stuff that happened the night before, you go, wow, he really made it a priority. Because when you look back at the passage before this, in, in, in verse 27, 26, going back to verse 21, you realize that Jesus was healing people the night before. In fact, we know the night before was the, was the Sabbath day, and so people wouldn't come to Jesus till 6 p.m. And it said that the nearby villages and towns all came to Jesus for healing. Well, we know that he was in Capernaum. That had 1,500 people. The nearby town of Magdala had about 40,000. Can you imagine that many people coming to your house after 6 p.m. for healing? And Jesus gets up very early. How early? Well, very early is the first watch. That's 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. So Jesus, after a night, it must be an exhausting night, still made his first priority to be with his father. My question to you this morning is when people look at you, when young people look at you, when your, your, your children, your grandchildren, your nieces, your, your nephews, the people in this church, when they look at you, where will they say you spend your time? I think people would easily tell, say to Jesus, man, he probably should have just slept. He's probably pretty tired. Too many other responsibilities, so many other priorities that he had, but he made his first priority to be with his heavenly father. You see, we can't impact our next generation. We cannot, in in fact, tell our children and impress upon them the need to make Christ a priority if we ourselves don't do it. Adults, young people are watching you. Young people are watching you and they're wondering, how are you spending your time? Jesus didn't just go off to a solitary place to relax. He went and prayed. He spent time with his heavenly father. And then he goes back and says, this is, I didn't come just to heal people. Let's go somewhere else. The disciples must have learned a huge lesson on that to make God the center of their life. There's so, much, so little time we have in this life, isn't there? The question is, are you putting... Christ at the center, the priority, and is your family, the young people, the gener- next generation, do they see that in you? Oh, I was impacted so much by so many people in my church, and I'm so grateful for them. And it coincided with what my family was saying, and so it comes together, and that's what our family ministries do here at Christ Church. We, we use a curriculum called the Orange Curriculum, and it goes from children to middle school to high school to college to career all the way through. What's the Orange Curriculum? The orange curriculum says that the, the church, the church is, is the yellow, the light of the world, and the family is the heart of God, and when you put them together, you have orange. And so that's what we want to do with our young people. Not only just have parents teaching them, but have the church come alongside, because this generation needs to learn from us as a community. 
And over the next few weeks, when you hear Pastor Jamie and Pastor Ed, they're going to talk about what that looks like as a community, as a body. But it first starts with your own priority. You know, I love that video. It's a very touching video about that young girl. And you see the progression. And you see that's where we get this tree from. Somebody asked me if I drew this tree. I said no, but thank you for attributing the fact that I draw like a two-year-old. But that's where we get the tree. The idea that it goes quick, doesn't it? We can all attest to that. There's a little girl. She's in nursery now. She's walking. And then there's a little sibling there with her. It goes fast, doesn't it? And that's where we come here today when we talk about don't lose your marbles. Don't lose your marbles. You know, we have a marble jar that I'm going to show you. This isn't just a a funny prop. It's not. It actually comes from the orange curriculum. But I wanted to show you something because marbles are so, thank you, so this illustration will show you the importance of taking each moment captive and making it a priority in a kid's life. Some people (laughs) thought that when we talk about don't lose your marbles, we're going to talk about how we, as, as we get older, start forgetting things, which is true. That's a sermon for another time and another place. In fact, my grandmother, who's 98, Deb's grandmother, uh, she always talks about, I haven't lost my marbles yet. That's not what we're talking about. This idea, when we talk about marbles, you have to understand there's 936 marbles in this jar, and this 936 represents 936 weeks of a child's life. From the time they're born to the time they go to college, right here, 936 weeks. And when we talk about the phases of a kid's life, we, we ask, well, what's a phase? A phase is this. It's a time frame when, when you can leverage distinctive opportunities to influence their future. Many of you know this and heard this study, the Barna study, that half of all Americans who accept Christ as their Savior do so before they reach the age of 13. Let me say that again. Half of all Americans who accept Jesus as their Savior do so before they reach the age of 13. Two out of three born-again Christians made the commitment to Christ before their 18th birthday. One out of eight born-again, 13%, made the profession of faith before they were 21. Now, I saw this study this week, and I, I remember being the youth pastor here 20 years ago, and that was the same study then. I thought, maybe it's different. Maybe it's changed. Maybe people don't accept Christ when they're young anymore. Maybe they're not as influenced. Maybe that opportunity has passed. And I went and looked that study up, and this study came out again last year, and they talked about, you know what? 20 years later, it's still the same thing. That if, if you want to get kids to understand who Christ is, have them accept him as their Savior, understand that he died for them, and that they need to give their life over to him, you need to do that because there's a, there's a phase where, where we have an opportunity, a window to influence them. Still the same today. So when we come to this marble jar, we realize 936 of them. 936 of them. And I thought it was fascinating because we as pastors were talking about this, that when you do this, that's kindergarten. This is what's left now all the way through high school. This is the weeks that are left. Then you pour some more. This is all you have left now from sixth grade to high school. One week, every week, goes by. In this jar, there are special marbles for birthdays, graduations. One week, every week, is a marble. This isn't just a cute illustration. This comes from that curriculum to talk about the importance that These marbles go really fast, don't they? 
If you've ever had children, you know it goes really quick. Next week when you come in, there will be one less marble in here. We have a small window to influence our children. And it goes quick. And the idea isn't just about surviving the phases of childhood. You know, a lot of us think that. We want to survive the phase. It's just a phase, so let's survive it, right? You'll survive the the long nights uh, awake changing diapers. You'll survive the toddler age where they're running off. You'll survive it. You've heard people say that. You'll survive the teenage years, right? You'll survive the college years. You'll survive it. The idea here is that we don't want to just survive the phase. We want to win that phase for the children. But it takes a whole church to do it. The greatest thing we can do as a church is help model that for our children is to win each and every phase so that they can understand who Christ is. That's the idea of don't lose your marbles. We don't want to lose them. Don't lose your marbles. I thought it was funny this past week my, my wife was talking about, oh, it wouldn't be fun when we're grandparents. I thought, grandparents? Uh, you know, our son's in fifth or middle school. I thought, it's already coming, huh? But it goes like that. You know it. It goes like that. It's fast. The question is, what are we going to do about it? But it starts with us as a church setting the example, demonstrating to them first and foremost that not only we're going to teach it who Christ is, but we've got to show it as well, right? And that's where we come to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6. You know, one of the greatest things that Moses ever did was give us the Shema prayer, which is the prayer we just read. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. The Shema prayer. Talking about, hero Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk to them about when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. Oh man, that is such a powerful prayer. And I know being in Israel... I know we had some Jewish tour guides, and I was so impressed by how much they knew about the Old Testament. I said, man, you know so much. He goes, well, it's been impressed upon us by every member of my family, every member of my community, the need to know who God was. I thought, man, I wish we could do that in our culture. You know, we just got off a series talking about how terrible this culture is with some of the horrible things that are happening. And our responsibility is to, to stand up and fight against it. Our responsibility, too, is to help our young people win those, win it. Not just survive it, but win it. Come out knowing who Christ is. But it helps. But we first have to realize that we have to first decide to make the Lord our first priority. That's number one. You cannot tell kids... Young people, you cannot influence them if you first haven't made a decision to make it your first priority. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be written on your hearts. You know, when the disciples asked Jesus in Matthew 22, they said, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said the same thing, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. The question I have for you is, is that your priority? When people look at you, would they say, you know what? They really do. Their priority is Christ. They love him with everything that they do. That's their priority. When young people look at you, when your children or grandchildren or other families look at you, would they say, you know what? They really do that. They've decided to make the Lord their first priority. Not only do we have to decide for ourselves, we then need to demonstrate it to our next generation, don't we? Verse 7, impress it upon your children. 
training a child is constant, isn't it? You know this. It's constant. Whether you have kids or not, you know it's a great responsibility. And it's not an overnight deal. One theologian said, Christians who do not fully and tirelessly commit themselves to godly teaching and training of the next generation of children are likely to wake up one day to find their sons, daughters, immersed in the ungodly and immoral philosophy and practices of this world. Isn't that so true? We come here on Sunday mornings, we have an opportunity. But you have an opportunity throughout the week to impact a child. So that when they go out in the culture, they can understand what godly living is and what godly living isn't. We have to impress it upon them. We have to demonstrate it to the next generation. And then we also have to declare it with our words. It's not, a, it's not just about showing up, but we need to talk to our children, don't we? That's why verse 7 says this, talk to them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie it as symbols on their hands, bind it on their foreheads, write them on the door frames and the houses of your gates. I love being in Israel because when you walk out of a hotel room, there's a spot where you can put scripture in because that's the idea. They, they want to impress upon them every time they go in and come out that they understand who God was. My hope and prayer is that is, is our children, the youth in our, in our church will understand who God is because there's so many people coming around them and talking about it all day, all night. We've got to talk to them. But we've got to get their, we've got to get their attention first, don't we? We can't just talk and demonstrate it if we ourselves aren't living it out. There was a farmer who sold a mule to a person down the road. He explained carefully, the mule is a good mule, but you must be gentle, ever so gentle. The next day, about 10 a.m., the purchaser appeared to the door. The seller, very irritated, demanded his money back. He said, what's wrong? The seller asked. The mule is sitting in the middle of the barn and will not move. I I was so gentle, but this isn't working. So the guy said, well, let me help you. They went over to the mule, and the seller got a big stick and hit the mule as hard as he could on the rear end to get him to start moving. But I thought you said to be gentle. Yes, but you got to get his attention first. As parents, as adults, we have to get our kids' attention. We have to model it first, don't we? We make it our own priority. My hope as we go throughout this series is we understand what our role is as a, as a church, as a, as a bigger community. You know, there's that wide old adage that says it takes a village to raise a villager. It's the same thing in a church. We need your help. Those of us with kids, families, we need help from others. Come alongside so they can see it. We need you to be modeling it for our children so they can see the priority is there. I'm excited for this next few weeks because as we go through this, it's just a phase. We're going to realize we all have a role to fill, but my hope and prayer is you look at these marbles, you remember that we have a small window of time. My hope and prayer is that you take every opportunity. This past week, I was able to take my son out for a, for a dinner. Instead of just kind of goofing off like we normally do, I I had a great conversation with him about what it means to be a Christian in today's world. I think I'll always remember that dinner because it was such a heart-to-heart conversation. 
And these kids need to hear it because they're inundated with so much evil in this world. They need to hear it from you. I hope you'll take advantage. In a minute, we're going to sing a great closing hymn, a great song that Pastor Marcus has prepared for us. But I thought about this last night because, and I, I wanted to share it with you because I, I realized that there's some parents here, there's some family members whose kids have really kind of gone off the deep end, if you will. They said they did their best, but they just, their kids haven't really made Christ a priority. And let me just encourage you with this. God doesn't call us to be perfect, but he calls us to be faithful, doesn't he? He calls us to be faithful. I remember the story of Jairus. Remember the story of Jairus? It's a very simple story in Luke 22, where Jairus' daughter was dying, and he goes to Jesus. Jesus is in a crowd of people. And he falls at Jesus' feet and says, will you please help me? And Jesus stops everything and responds to Jairus. The Bible doesn't talk about how we are to change diapers or how we go through these phases or how we uh, deal with spankings or punishment, but the Bible talks really clearly about what it means when a heart of a parent prays. Jesus always responds. So we give our children back to God. That's what we do when we dedicate. We give them back to God. And we continue to pray for them. And then we continue to be faithful. Faithful in our teaching, faithful in our instruction, and faithful in our example. I hope you all can set a good example for the children in this church. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. I thank you that we can, we have the great responsibility to raise this next generation. They're your kids. You give them to us to be in our care. So, Lord, help us to be faithful in our teaching. Help us to be faithful in our example. Help us to be faithful as we demonstrate the need to put you first in our own lives so the kids can see that. We want to have that too. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity that we can come as a, not only as a, as, a, as a church, but as a family, a body of people coming together to raise these children in our church. Lord, we thank you. Be with us. Thank you for these, what you teach us in your word. I pray that we aren't just hearers of the word, but we'll be doers of it as well. And I ask all this in your precious name. Amen. Would you stand with me as we sing?